Jesus, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above our kings, who breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above our
for all that you've done for me. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for me, for your grace, your mercy, and your love. There's a grace in my heart is undefined Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There's a grace when the heart is Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and the serenity I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire was another in the heart Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminded I was being set free There is a cross that bears the burden Another died for me There is another in the
There is another in the walls Holding back the seas Should I ever need remind How could you been to me? I count the joy on every bound Cause I know that's where And we'll be through it all So come with me in the space between All the things unseen And this reckoning I know I will never be alone You'll never be alone Cause I know I will never be Jesus. 
Forever lifted 
God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 holy. Holy, 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 holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And the angels cried, holy. The angels cried, holy.
Oh
This morning. I'm a lover of your presence, Jesus. Oh, I'm a lover of your presence. 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 seeing while we were worshiping while we were worshiping I saw I saw a beautiful child just running in a field 
and it was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. It was just like the field was golden and, and the sun rays were so crystal clear hitting it and the child was running fast and the, the image that was in my heart is, I don't know if you've ever had a child run into the house and say, I saw something, you have to come follow me and they, they grabbed your attention with excitement and they ran out of the house as fast as they can leading you somewhere and that's the vision I saw. I just saw a beautiful child running fast and looking back at me like, follow me, follow me. I have something to show you. I have a place that I want you to go. And the Lord revealed to me that that was the Holy Spirit. And I saw a stream in the distance. It was so beautiful. It was crystal clear. It was more like even, it was a stream leading to a river. And I knew that that was the presence of God. That that was all that God has for us. And the child representing the Holy Spirit, that our childlike faith to follow God wherever he leads us. This is the thing. He, the child was running. I couldn't tell if it was a beautiful little boy or girl. It just didn't matter. Was running. And he wasn't waiting for me. That I had the choice to follow. But there was something undeniable about the joy and the life and the excitement in that child's face that I knew the place this child was leading me was a place that I wanted to go, but I had a choice to go there or not. And I felt in worship this morning that we crossed the threshold, that God says we are going into the deep. We're going into the deep. And God loves us, but he's not waiting on anyone because this is where he's taking his church. And you know, I realized something that when two people are coming together to get married, the closer it gets to the wedding day, the deeper they go in their relationship. I'm not talking about physical things. I'm talking about the spiritual connection and learning everything they can about each other. And the Lord is just speaking to my heart that his return is so near. It is so imminent that he loves us, but he's taken us to the deeper waters. We've got to go to the deep place with God because he's coming very soon. And so I just implore you this morning. It's like I, I saw a vision of myself diving off of a diving board. And once you jump off, you, you can't change your mind. You can't go back. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be completely just abandoned to him. That he is leading us to the deeper waters. He is taking us to the river of life. He's taking us to the place that his presence is. But that's where he's going. He's not changing his mind and he's not waiting on anybody. But that's the call that we're going to the deeper place. Amen. And so Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you this morning. Each and every individual has a decision to make in this place. That we are going to stay where we are or we're going to go where you're going. And Father, we want to be where you are. We say like Moses, God, that if this is where your presence is going, then we're not staying here. We're going there. And so, Father, I pray in Life Church that you would release your Holy Spirit, just an abundance of your presence, the rain of your presence in this place. I ask you, God, that those that are struggling in faith, that you would encourage them, Lord, that you would bind up fear, that you would bind up the things holding us back. Because, Lord, you're coming soon, and you want us to know you better, and you want us to take off, to get off that diving board and go into the deeper waters. And so I ask, God, that you would usher us there that you would push us forward by your love lord we want to go there we want to go there thank you holy spirit thank you holy spirit i'm telling you church 
if you can see what I saw, and I believe that many of you have, if I was, as I was describing it, I know that the Lord opened your hearts and he showed you. We are going somewhere and we're not holding back. We're not relenting. We're not staying where we are. I'm telling you, we, we have crossed. We have gone through a, a holy threshold. We have broken through and we're not going to go backwards. We're going forward. So, Lord, I declare your presence in this place. We declare that you, you come to the places where you are celebrated and not merely tolerated. And we celebrate you in this place. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. We are not afraid of who you are and how you want to move. But we declare that you are God and we are not. And you shall have preeminence in this place. So, Lord, have your way in this service. I know we're only getting started coming into your presence in worship. But it's your word, God, that changes our hearts. We need a word from heaven this morning. We need to hear from the throne. We need to know what you're saying to your church because we don't know what direction to move in unless you speak. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would stir our hearts, open our hearts for your word this morning because we need a word from you, Jesus. I don't know about you, but I know that God has a word for us today, and I pray that your heart is prepared. But I want to welcome you to Life Church this morning. Thank you for worshiping with us, but there's just a few things that we need to announce before we get into the word. Number one, remember that this is the first night, uh, the last Sunday night fire of the year was last Sunday night, so we will not be having Sunday night fire the rest of the year, but we will pick it back up on Sunday night, January the 5th. Mark your calendars. Also, if you um, would look in your seat pocket in front of you or if you look in your bulletin, we always have envelopes for giving. In the back of the church, you'll find boxes on the wall. We would uh, encourage you and challenge you even to partner with the Lord in your giving. I don't know where you are in your giving or in your finances, but we challenge you as the pastors and the leaders of this church to come into covenant with God with your giving. You'll see behind me, you can give by text, you can give on our website, you can give you know the old-fashioned way by check or cash in the back but this is one thing you need to do if you are in a place financially that, that is not sustainable and you need breakthrough the first thing you need to check honestly is your heart with God with your finances and I give you my word and the word of God trumps even my word God gives you his word that if you would partner with the kingdom that if you would sow financially if you would be obedient he's gonna make uh, meet all your needs amen and then finally as we transition I want you to do two things. I want to make sure that you cross the, the, the aisle, greet somebody you haven't met before, greet them in the name of the Lord. But if you're a visitor here this morning, if you've never visited us before, again, in the, uh, in the brochure, you'll find a Connect card. Uh, you can fill out your information. We're not going to bug you. We're not going to send you a bunch of emails. But we need to know who you are because if not, there will be no way to connect. So in the foyer, you'll see a counter. If you've never been here before, fill out that form. Walk out there. Greet Miss Crystal. She'll be back there. She has a gift for you for joining us. Other than that, we're going to transition in a few minutes. Greet somebody this morning. The pastor's coming with the word.
Praise the Lord. Hello, hello. There we go. Are we there? Yes? There, oh, yeah. There we are. Praise God. Good to see you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to be seen. <laughs> Amen. I do want to remind everyone also that next Sunday morning is our annual children's Christmas program. And uh, people, they, they, young people have been working and adults have been working and, and uh, they'll be working all this week getting ready for it. And we want you to come and bring somebody with you following the uh, program, uh, following their message that they'll be sharing with us will be a gumbo meal. I mean, yes. Right. Somebody said, I forgot about that. Well, you can't forget about that. That's the 13th commandment. Wherever two or three are gathered together, we're going to eat. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's awesome. It always is. And, and it doesn't cost you anything except you've got to be here. And so we want you to come, bring somebody with you. Um, it's going to be a great and wonderful time. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's good to see you. I wasn't here last Sunday. I, um, was I? No, I was in Foley, Foley, Alabama. I had to stop and think where I was. It's been, it's been a, a, a long week. And, um, but anyway, uh, um, I have something I want to share with you this morning. And, and um, it was a challenge that was put to me last week by the pastor's wife at the church. Um, there's a church in Foley, Alabama that allows... Uh, pastors to come and get away for a while. They have a couple houses they make available. And um, uh, so we have a standing reservation the week of Thanksgiving, my wife and I do. And um, so um, as I was there, uh, they called me and uh, said, uh, what's, well, the long and short of it was, pastor says, you're preaching for me Sunday morning, Sunday night, when he found out I was staying until Monday morning. And I said, I am? He said, yes, you am. And I said, okay. He said, I don't let anybody else have my pulpit on Sunday morning, but you, you can. And so uh, his wife, she's written about 38 books or something like that, and she yells out, I want him to teach my adult Sunday school class too. And I was like, okay. And so she called me and said, uh, I, I've been teaching about the Jesus of the Bible. She said, I did a series on the God of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, and next I'm going to do one on the Holy Spirit of the Bible. And I said, okay. She said, I th I'm thinking, okay, I can come up with something to go along with Jesus of the Bible. She goes, but no, 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 I don't want you to teach about Jesus. I said, okay. She said, I have taught the doctrines of Jesus. She said, and I think they know up here, but I don't know if they believe down here. I said, okay. She said, so I want you to come up with something for down here. I went, <laughs> I did. I went, okay. And so on Black Friday, while my wife and daughter and family, they were all shopping I sat down and came up with some stuff, you know, and I said, I don't know if this is what she wants. And so I emailed her, 
And about midnight or sometime Saturday, I get an email back going, no, that's not what I want. And I'm like, okay, throw that away. And, um, and I said, what do you want? And she said, I don't know if they really believe. And I said, I don't know either. <laughs> I'm not God. She said, you've got to come up with something. She said, whatever you come up with, I trust you. Boy, that's just pressure. I mean, you know, that's just like, it's almost like that's your excuse to bomb, you know? I mean, whatever. And so um, I went back and I, I, be, I said, Holy Spirit, you got to help me. You got to help me. And um, so it's been sticking with me all this week. This, this concept, and I'm going to say something before I even get into the word. While we were worshiping that, you know, that last song, I heard the word Bartimaeus. And if you don't know who he is in the Bible, he was a blind man sitting by the road, and he heard the noise, the Bible says, as Jesus was leaving Jericho. And the word was that Jesus was passing by. And the blind man Bartimaeus began to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the people began to shout him down, the religious people, the disciples, his inner circle told him, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And he just got louder and louder and louder until Jesus stopped and called for him. And this morning, as we were worshiping that last song, I kept hearing Bartimaeus, and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, there's someone here, there may be more than one, and you're like the blind man on the side of the road, and you're looking, you can't see, you're wanting to see, but you want to know, and you're just yelling, you're crying out, Jesus, have mercy. And I felt impressed to tell you before I even get into this this morning, if you will right now in your heart say, God, hear my cry and open my eyes to who you are, he'll do it. He'll do it. I'm going to be reading from John's Gospel, chapter 2, the first 11 verses. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And six water pots made of stone were sitting there, used for ceremonial cleansing by the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the, water, fill the pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, now draw them out and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that had been turned into wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who drew the water knew, 
the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and after men have drunk freely, then the poor wine is served. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The message is simply who is this Jesus? We are officially into the Christmas season. And most of the messages and stories and things that people will hear in churches and then is about Jesus the baby who was born in the manger. And if, yes, that's where the story started. But that's not where the story is now because he's not a baby. He's not in a manger. He's a resurrected son of God who is alive and sitting on the right hand of his father, preparing to come back again. He was crucified on the cross, put in the tomb, raised from the dead. I said he's alive today. He's alive, okay? This is, what, this is, this is, this is my focus. I hope to try and get there, to get us there. To go from here to here. I remember when I was a new Christian, I picked up a tract, a piece of paper that had the gospel message on it. And the, the title said, Missing Heaven by 18 Inches. And they said that that was the average distance between the heart and the mind. And how many people today, and I hadn't thought of that in 40 years until this morning and I'm thinking there are people in churches all across America today or staying at home because they don't believe in the church anymore but they still call themselves spiritual and they're missing God by 18 inches because they have a mental knowledge or a scent of him here but what God wants to do is reveal himself here in our heart inside to where it, it, it's, it's so real. The story we just read is about a wedding that takes place in Cana, which is a town about seven miles north of the modern city of Cana. And Jesus comes to the wedding, and he's brought five of his first disciples with him, the original 12, the first five. And, and if you don't know, let me just quickly tell you that in a Jewish wedding uh, feast, the, the, the wedding is a very small thing. It's not a big event. It's usually between just the, the personal families uh, involved and maybe a, a few close friends, the actual wedding. And in a Jewish wedding, then the bride and the groom, um, they go into the bride, the the, 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 the chamber, the bridal chamber, if I can put it that way, or the, the place that he's gone and prepared. And they stay in there for seven days. The husband and wife, they're not seen in public. They stay in that place for seven days. And it's only, and it's during that time that the feast begins to come together. The invitations go out that there's been a wedding. There's now going to be a feast. And the feast lasts seven days. Okay, the feast, it, it's multiple days, okay? Uh, normally, and it's filled with festivities. There's food and there's 
fellowshipping, there's dancing, there's rejoicing, there's celebrating, there's talking about each other and stories and their children and what their weddings will be like when they grow up and all of these things, okay? This is, this is what's going on. This is the normal pattern. And what usually happens, as we've read here, is that in the beginning of the festivities, the best wine is brought out, okay? And then as time goes by, imagine seven days of festivalizing, you know, if that's a word, if I can put it that way. After a while, your taste buds grow a little dull and you've had a little much to drink and, and, and too much food to eat and how many, you know, we, you know come on now. And, and your taste buds tend to get a little desensitized, okay? And because and, uh, I'm telling you, if you don't believe me, go on a fast for seven days. No food. I'm telling you, saltine crackers at the end of seven days taste like manna from heaven. <laughs> right? Amen. The taste. I'm not talking about being eating. I mean, it, because your taste buds, have, they've been cleaned up. You know, they've been neutralized just so long. All of a sudden, you're like, wow. I didn't know that tasted like that, you know? So that's what I'm talking about. And so what, what they would normally do is time would go by, then they would bring out the cheaper wines because now they've been, they've been having a good time and eating and they're tired, and, but they're not leaving because the festivities are still going on. And, and you bring out the, the cheaper wines, okay? In other words, the idea is they'll never notice. We went from, you know, high-class high stuff to... Yeah, dollar bottle stuff, you know, <laughs> you know. But something happens at this wedding that should never happen at a Jewish wedding. And that is they ran out of wine, completely out of wine. And Mary comes to Jesus with the statement that they've run out of wine. I don't know why. I have asked myself. I have, I have researched it. Nobody has an answer why Mary comes to Jesus at this time. Jesus has never done anything, shown anything, that he can do anything about this situation or anything like this. Now, she knows who he is, but she still doesn't know who he is. I mean, it's not like that. This is a, probably a bad illustration. You know, how many have ever seen a Superman movie or something like that? And then you have the ones where he's the little kid and he picks up the car, you know? I mean, his parents are going, this kid's not the normal kid, you know? Mary's never seen Jesus do any miracle. Nobody's ever seen Jesus do a miracle. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. So why did she come to him? I don't know why. I'm, you know, I'm just thinking maybe it's like if you... You brought five guys with you, and they're drinking us out of house and home or eating us out of house and home. You know, could you just, you know, could you have been a little more, I don't know why, she's a mother. You know, and she comes to her son and goes, we're out of wine, they're out of wine. And, and, and Jesus, he, he says this, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And this is important 
Because what he's basically saying to her is that when my time comes, the place of announcing who I am is not going to be in a small town of Cana. Properly, it should be in Jerusalem. Okay? In other words, she knows from the angel that told her, you shall bear a son and he shall save his people from their sin. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. She knows that much. But in, in, even in knowing that, she doesn't know everything. Nobody knew. The Bible says those things were hidden from the beginning of time. Okay? His disciples who had been with him just a short period of time, they had no clue. They had no clue who he was. They, they just said, we think we found the one that we've been told is coming, but they've yet to see anything happen yet at the beginning of this story. So she's saying, my time, he's saying, my time has not yet come, and if I was going to do anything, it would not be here. It would start in Jerusalem, the headquarters of our nation, the, the seat of religious authority. If Messiah is going to do anything, he's going to announce himself in Jerusalem, not a little town called Cana at somebody's personal wedding. And then, and then he says, and what do I have to do with you? In other words, what, what does this have to do with me? What, why do I... I don't owe you anything. What is this about? Okay? This is really what's happening. And, and what he's saying here is that I have come to the age where you no longer have parental authority over me. And if I'm going to do anything, it's not going to be because I have to obey you. I'll do it out of honor but you cannot make me do this. I am now a man. Now, you have to understand the culture a little bit. And this is what he is saying. He's not being rude or mean or anything like that. Now, we've been told about these water jugs, and they literally, they're tall. They're clay jugs. They hold about 30 gallons of water apiece. That's not a small amount of water. The pots are already very heavy. You fill them with 30 gallons of water. Uh, about 10 gallons weighs 100 pounds or more, so figure that out. That's a, lot, that's a heavy piece of pottery filled with water, and there was numerous pots like that. Why? Because the Jews, um, they can't eat anything. They can't touch anything that might enter their mouth without washing, going through a ceremonial washing, cleansing kind of thing. And so they were, imagine a seven-day festival where you're eating and drinking and carrying on and everything else. You're going to be washing a lot, okay? And, and so they would wash their hands. They would wash their hands for everything. If You remember one time Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees came against Jesus and said, your disciples, they were walking through the field and they were pulling from the, the weed or the corn or whatever it was at that time, and they were eating it, and they came against him, not for eating something, but they said, your, their, your disciples eat without washing their hands. Why are they doing this and breaking the rules? And what he tells them is, he said, <laughs> he said, 
He said, when the bridegroom is with you, he said, you're going to party. But when the bridegroom is gone, then you're going to fast. He said that the rules of men, and that was the rules, the washing and all that, these were subsequent rules above the law that the Pharisees had invented and everything. So what I'm trying to tell you is these water pots were filled with water, and they would wash their hands, and, and by the miracle he performs, he takes water and turns it into wine. And, and the wine that he's created here is greater in, 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 in consistency and taste and value. It's better than the best wine that has been served. Okay? I want you to see something here. And so the one who, was, who, who served the food was commended. Can you imagine that? The head guy comes out and goes... Folks, folks, I want to get your attention here. <laughs> this man has been in charge of the festivities and all the food and everything else. He's done a phenomenal job, but he has just gone over the top because right now, now they're bringing out a wine of such great quality. He said most people wait to the end until nobody would notice, but he brings out the best. Can we give this guy a hand? And, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll take the credit, yeah. I mean, really, because that's what it says. He doesn't know where it came from, but the servants knew. But he was commended in front of all the people. He's not going to stand up there and go, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, he's an average guy. He's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. He wants to look good. But the servants know. They know that this was water, and Jesus changed it into wine. And I want you to see something here in the last verse we read. It says, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And there's two statements here. And he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, I want to make a side note because this is important, this first part says, this, the first of his signs. This shuts down every argument that's out there that there are lost gospels and lost records of miracles that Jesus did as a boy. If you don't know that, there's those who teach this. The word of God says this, the first of his signs. He did not do any until this point. Okay? I, I, you need to understand that because there are liberal teachers out there and preachers out there and stuff who teach that there are lost records and lost gospels that, that, that record according to tradition. No, this one says this is the first miracle he's ever done. So anything else otherwise is false. Okay? You need to know that. Because there, there are a number of people who are teaching more and more today that Jesus did miracles as a baby or as a child. Now, there's two things I want you to see. The first thing is this, and that John points out that Jesus manifested his glory. 
In fact, in John's gospel, in the beginning, he talks about, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on and says, and we saw his glory. We saw the manifested glory of God. The Bible says that Jesus laid aside his father's glory when he came to earth, and so much so that nobody would recognize him as the, the son of God. So, you know, all the little Christmas things where the baby's got the halo over the head and all that kind of stuff, that didn't happen. You know, that, that song, you know, uh, away in the manger, no crying he makes. There's no such thing as a baby who no crying he makes. That's all babies do is cry and eat and make a mess in their diaper. I mean, they go back to sleep and wake up crying, you know. I'm just telling you, it, it, this is important. But it says he manifested his glory. It's like for a moment, the glory that he had set aside, in fact, the Bible says when he comes back, he's coming back not only in his father's glory, but in his glory too. Because he is a glorified, resurrected Christ. So there's going to be a double glory of God when Jesus Christ comes back again, okay? But it says John points out that Jesus manifested his glory. How did he do that? He bypassed the process of growing grapes, of pressing grapes, and giving them time to ferment. In other words, he, he manifested his glory in the creation of wine. He didn't turn water to wine. He created wine. Because wine doesn't just come out of a spigot. It's a process. And it's a process of time. You've got to plant the vineyards. You've got to trim the, the grapevines. You've got to pull the grapes. You've got to stomp on them. You've got to crush them. You've got to press them. You've got to strain them. You've got to put them in the barrels or sacks or whatever. And it takes time to ferment. And Jesus bypassed all of that. And he literally said, fill them with water. And in that moment, he manifested his glory because he created, he bypassed the normal process for the creation of wine and just created it. That should not strike us as unusual because that's who he is. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? See, we, we have a Jesus up here, but he wants to be a Jesus down here in our hearts. He won't, he, Jesus said, that those who believed in him would do the same and even greater things than he has done. But that will never happen if he's just to the Jesus up here and not the Jesus down here. The second thing, the Bible says that his disciples believed on him. Something happened in that moment that they went from here to here. For they had said, for we have found the one who we have been told about. And we're going to see in a minute the story of Nathaniel. And, and the disciples, in the beginning, 
It was a mental thing. They said he fits all the parameters. We think it's him. We got a good feeling about this. In the minute he did this creative miracle, it says the disciples that were with him believed on him. And when I read that, it was like the Holy Spirit just jumped out and grabbed hold of my heart. He was like, he said, they, they had in their minds accepted that he, they believed he was the Messiah, but now they had faith because it was confirmed by the miracle that he had done. There had been, in that moment, when water turned to wine, those men turned from believers up here to believers down here. They, they too, were transformed. They went from thinking this might be the guy to this is the Christ, the one we've been looking for. And that's how Jesus still works today. I, I, some of you know my testimony. I'm not going to go into all of those things, but the way I came to Christ was through an accident in a high school football game. I was a running back, and, and I was injured and taken to the hospital, and the long and short of it was the x-ray showed that there was a crack in my spine and that, it, and that my life as I knew it was over. And that they said, you're actually, if you, if you do any sports or anything like this, you could actually end up paralyzed. And, and I was told by, I, I, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church and, and went to parochial schools most of my life and served as an altar boy for years. And, and um, my parish priest, who I played golf with with my father, Every Saturday, he sat down with me, the chaplain there at the military hospital. He sat down with me and said, this is God's cross for you to bear, young man. And I remember I looked at him and said, if this is your God, I want nothing to do with him. I had been faithful. I had been raised in the faith. But I said, if this is the way your God works, I want nothing to do with him. And it began a year, almost a year of, of rebellion. And it was during the time of the early... Uh, late 60s, early 70s, where there was a huge rebellion across our nation, the anti-establishment movement, the hippie movement, the sit-ins on campus and the riots on college campuses, the civil rights movement, the assassinations of Martin Luther King and, and, and uh, Senator Kennedy. I mean, it was a time of upheaval and like we have never seen prior to that time, I, I, I would say. And... And uh, so this just added to it because here was my chaplain telling me that God in heaven desired that this happen to me. I said, if this is your authority, your God, I want nothing to do with him. But it caused me in my rebellion and, and, and everything I got involved in. I won't even go into it because I'm not going to glorify any of that stuff. But just let me just tell you, I, I went down every path I could go down the opposite of the way I was brought up. Because I was mad at God, I was mad at my parents, I was mad at anybody that was in authority. But then an opportunity came and my mom came to me and said, I want you to come with me 
to a nearby town where I lived in California and said, so there's a priest over there that's holding a Bible study for teenagers. And I said, I don't want nothing to do with your God or your church or anything else. And she said to me, she said, if you'll go and listen to what he has to say, you'll never have to attend Mass again. Now, if you don't understand that, that's better than a get-out-of-jail-free card anytime. Because the Pope won't even give you that. And I'm not being discourteous about saying that because you're taught that if you don't go to Mass, that's a sin, that's a mortal sin, you know. And so I said, well, I'm going. She said, but you have to listen. I said, well, I'll listen. But I'm thinking, he can talk all he wants. I ain't listening, but I'm listening, but I ain't going to listen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are looking at your spouse. I don't know why you're looking at your spouse like that, you know. But we came home, and that night, all the way home, nothing was said between me and my mother. And at 10 o'clock at night, she turned to me, and she said, so what did you think? I said, I think it's a bunch of baloney. I don't believe none of it. Because I was angry. I was mad. And, and, and she said, why? And so I threw out my, my rebuttal of what had been said, and she answered that question. So I threw out another one, and this went on till four hours, till two o'clock in the morning, till I ran out of arguments. And I realized I was now face to face with a Jesus that I used to call good old plastic Jesus. You know why? Because on the dashboard of my dad's car was a little thing, statue of Jesus about this big. And I'd get in the car and I'd say, well, there's good old plastic Jesus. That's what I said as a kid. Good old plastic Jesus. And now all of a sudden, I was face to face with the claims that he wasn't good old plastic Jesus. He was an alive Jesus. And I had to make a choice. And the long and short of it was that that, that morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, February 28, 1970, I came to meet Jesus. I didn't know that's what had happened. I didn't know anything about salvation. I didn't know anything. I didn't know about John 3.16. I didn't know about a John a 3 or a 16. I didn't know the four Roman roads. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know any of that. But my mama, in, in, in the way she talked to me, she said, you just have to pray and ask Jesus into your life. And I remember crying and saying, I don't know any prayers. I, I, I knew prayers. I'd been taught them in English and French. I went to a French Catholic school. And, and I remember those prayers. I remember the books. I remember all the prayers written in the missal. I, remember, I don't remember one about Jesus coming to my life. I give myself to you. And she, she came back to the car, heard me cry, and she just said, you just talk to him like you talk to your friend. And I just said, Jesus, I am tired of living this way. I'm tired of being a phony. I'm tired of being tired. I said, my life is so messed up. I've messed it up. If there's anything you can do with me, I give myself to you. That's all I said. It may not sound real spiritual, but I could tell you right there at 2 o'clock in the morning on the front side of the front seat, passenger side of a 1968 Colony Park station wagon, green with wood paneling on the side in Merced, California, Jesus came into my life. I didn't know that's what happened. 
but I met the real Jesus. He went from being the Jesus up here to the Jesus down here. But you know what? He didn't stop there. Because, see, I was still injured. And my life and the things that I loved, I could no longer do. But I was sold out to Jesus. I was going after God. I was telling all of my friends, leading them to this Jesus. And, and one by one by one by one by one, I was leading them to Christ. And, and, and even so much so that in my religion class that was being taught by the mother superior of the order, how many of you know who I'm talking about? The head nun. She taught the religion class. And at that time, there was a rock opera had come out called Jesus Christ Superstar. And they tried to say that Jesus, that Judas one day, that Judas was a saint in heaven. And I had just read the night before that Jesus himself had said it would be better for the man who would betray the Son of God that he'd never been born than to betray him. And I remember when she said this, that she played a song, and in it was about the conflict that Judas had, and then she says, so Judas is in heaven because God used him as a tool. I remember I took my little white Bible with a little zipper on it at a cross, you know, $3 at the drugstore I paid, and I, I stood up in that class, and I slammed my Bible down, I said, that's enough! Everybody turned around like, dude, what are you on? You know, I mean, what are you on? And, and I said, that's it. This book says you're a liar. Can I tell you, I don't have time to go into all of it. They called my parents. They called the Monsignor. And the next week, I was taken to the nearby town 50 miles away to meet with the bishop. In ninth grade, freshman in high school, and met with him and they told him the whole story. I said, no, you've heard their half of the story. I said, let me tell you the other half. This book is life. And I've been told my whole life, don't read it, it'll mess you up. I said, I was messed up until I met Jesus. And when I started reading this book, my life started getting straightened out. And I said, if you're going to teach everything and call it religion and it don't back up to this book, I said, I'm going to pray this school closes. Ninth grade. You can see I've mellowed out a lot since then. I mean, I really have. Needless to say, that didn't go over well. And they contacted my parents again and threatened that they were going to throw me out. Let them throw me out. I said, I don't care. And uh, word got back to the school. You have to understand, I was the freshman class president. Served on the student body. I was also in charge of the French club, the science club, the chess club, and the religion club. And uh, so word had got around of what I had said and done. About two weeks went by, and then the intercoms come on through the whole school. 
May I have your attention, please? Everybody, please put down what you're doing. Teachers, we're sorry to interrupt. It's the mother superior. And everybody looked at me. And this, I'm thinking, took them two weeks to figure out what to do with me. I'm serious. I don't know what's about to come over the speaker. And she says, we regret to inform you, students, your parents will be receiving a letter that you'll be taking home to them. But we've just been told that this school will be closing at the end of this school year in, in less than two months. And people looked at me, and I was like, like a deer caught in the headlights, you know? And one guy looked at me, he said, you did it. I said, no, I didn't do nothing. I didn't. Let me tell you what, I had a captive audience. And I said, well, I might as well use it. And I stood up and pulled out my little Bible. And I began to preach the gospel and share the gospel with them. And they said, how can you be so sure? I said, because I know where I was. And I know the emptiness I had. And I know the change that's taken place. And I said, I don't care if I can never go back and play football or anything else ever again. It doesn't matter anymore. I said, because I know that if that's what it took to bring me to the place that I could have the transformation of Jesus Christ in my life, then it was worth it all. I'm serious, this is what happened. The school closed. The high school closed. And um, my dad got transferred to Alabama that summer. I guess that was a good thing. Listen, I'm trying to tell you this because I want you to see something and understand something, that this Jesus is not a figment of someone's imagination. He's very, 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 very real. And if he's not there for you, he wants to be. And you might be thinking, well, that's fine for you. You're the pastor. Well, let me tell you another story. When I was still 15 years old, I left the church. And my, my six younger brothers and sisters all came to Christ. And my mom had come to the Lord. And I'd seen her delivered from alcohol. She was a wino. She was addicted to wine. And what I know is because she bought gallons of wine, four gallon jugs in a case, and bought cases by the week. And God delivered her. And my mama became the mama I knew as a child. I'm telling you, he just changes lives. And he doesn't care where you've been, what you've done, or anything else. He just wants to be real in your life. And so... What had happened was a Church of God lady, I didn't even know what that meant. I, I was raised on a military base, and we had a chapel, one chapel, and it served all faiths. And, and, uh, and for the Catholic, they had a crucifix up there on the wall. And at the end of Mass, they'd slide the crucifix over, and out would come a, a Star of David for the synagogue service. And when they were done with that, they'd slide that over, and out would come a cross, just an empty cross, for the Protestants. So all I knew there was was Jew, Catholic, and Protestants. And my mama says, this lady's Church of God. And I'm thinking, well, I wonder what they have.
for the wall. I don't know what, what, what is a church of God. I didn't know. But we started meeting in her home because she said, and she started teaching us about Jesus. She started teaching us about the power of God. And, and so she found out I had a guitar. And back then they didn't have very many songs for, for like we have today. Now, I mean, next to nothing except the hymnal. And, and Ave Maria wasn't in this, this book, you know. So I'd strum my guitar and she'd sing a song. I'd try and follow her. And we'd worship in a house, in her house on Sundays. And one time I'm sitting there, Lance, and I'm sitting there and I'm just strumming my guitar and loving Jesus. And all of a sudden I had a vision. I didn't know that you could have visions. I'd read that in the Bible. I thought that stopped with the Bible, you know, the days of the apostles, but I had a vision. And in this vision, I saw the park in my town. It was a pretty good sized park. It had a small zoo, had public swimming pools and everything, had running tracks around it. And in this park, there was a young man there and he had a gun and he was thinking of committing suicide. I saw it and opened my eyes, shook and stopped playing the guitar and the lady looks at me and she goes, what's wrong? I said, I just saw something, but I don't understand. How can I see something with my eyes closed? And she said, well, tell me. And I told her and she said, you've had a vision. I said, a vision? I said, I used to have them when I took drugs. You know, I mean, you take enough of that stuff, boy, you'll have visions in technicolor. I mean, really. And I said, I'm not on anything except Jesus. She said, that's a vision from God. And I said, so what am I supposed to do? She said, she turned to her son who was three years older than me and drove. and says, take him to the park. He's got to go find this guy right now. So we drive 30-something miles back to my town. We drive to the park. It's filled with people. It's a beautiful Sunday. The sun is out. It's gorgeous in middle California, you know. I mean, it's perfect weather seven days a week. And it's filled with people. And I said, all right, you start on this side of the park, and I'll start on this side. We'll meet somewhere in the middle. If you find them, yell out. You know, maybe I'll hear you. And we walk through the whole park. We get to the other side. We ain't seen no guy with a gun. So we walk back through the park again. We get the other side, I don't see anybody with a gun. So I said, I don't understand. And he said, well, maybe you just miss God. I said, miss God? I said, he came looking for me. I, I, how can I miss him? I didn't think this thing up. I didn't even know that was possible. So we get back to my house, my mom's house. They're still in church up at 30 miles away. And I said, we pray, Lord, if this is of you, show us. And he said, God will give you a word. So I opened my Bible. Now, I, I'm not here to tell you that just open your Bible and do whatever it says. You know that whole thing. You know. Where somebody says, Lord, give me direction. And he opens it. And the first verse he sees is Judas went out and hanged himself. And he closes that and goes, Lord, that can't be it. Tell me the right one. And he opens up. And the next verse says, go and do so likewise. You know. So, you know, that's not the way to be led, okay? But I, we're praying in, the, in my bedroom, and I said, Lord, if this is you, show us. And this is the verse the Lord gives me in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If you could find a man, and if there be any that executes justice and seeks the truth, and I will pardon him. And I began to weep and cry. And I said, Jesus, that man's there. I don't know how to find him. And, and I, so we prayed again. We went back to the park. 
We walked all the way through the park, the other side, neither one of us saw him. I said, God, you got to open my eyes. I don't know how to see. I don't know if you've ever, years ago they used to have, all before electronics and stuff like that, there used to be a board game called Password. It was based on a TV show, and you had to have clues, but you had to know what the word was. And it had a card, but it had all this red ink on it, and you couldn't read anything on it. But you put it in this little thing that had red film on it, and as you'd slide it down, the word would become visible. And I said, Lord, I said, I feel like I'm looking for a word from a password game, but I don't have the film to show me where it's at. Can you open my eyes and help me? I'm 15 years old. I turned to Danny and I said, go back through your side. I'm going back through my side. And I get about halfway through the park. And all of a sudden, my attention is drawn to a young man sitting under a tree. Long, long hair. And he was just sitting there, looked depressed. And I, I would say he's probably about 23 years old. 24 years old. And uh, big old baggy bell bottoms, tie-dye shirt. That was classic for the day peace symbol and he put his head back against the tree and fold he was reading a hardback book and he closed the book and put his head back against the tree like in resignation and on the cover of the book was a pistol that was cocked and the holy spirit said that's him i said what do i do now he said, just go and tell him about me. I didn't know theology. I didn't know anything. But I could tell him about my Jesus. And I went and talked with him. And when I got done, I said, he'll take away the depression. He'll take away everything in your life. I know that's what my Jesus will do. He said, how do you know? I said, because I know him. I just know him. And I, he said, how do I meet this Jesus? We sat there under that tree, and we prayed right there. And this young man gave his heart to Christ. See, the church is filled with people who are believing here, but they're not here. And I began to pray and I began to say, Lord, help me with this. Where, where, do, we, where do we go with this? What, how, do, how does this work? And if you go over into John's gospel, chapter 1, look what it says. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And when he mentioned the place of Nazareth, notice the response of the future disciples. Nathaniel expresses the typical Galilean attitude here. I put that up there just so you can see this. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, Nazareth had the, the reputation of being the armpit of society. Nothing good was going to come out of there, okay? And, and uh, Philip doesn't argue the issue. He just says, come and see. Just come and see. And, and then there's another strange conversation goes on. Verse 47, look what it says. It's, it's, it's Nathaniel's walking towards Jesus. Philip's bringing him. Jesus looks at him and he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. If you don't know what guile means, it means deceit. 
It's a person who's deceitful in their ways. They're scheming and conniving, always working an angle, okay? And this is the first time the two have ever met. And Nathaniel looks at Jesus, and in the next verse, this is what he says. How do you know me? And in verse 51, Jesus says, answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And in that verse, look what Nathaniel says. Rabbi, meaning teacher, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now think about this conversation. First of all, he doesn't believe anything good could come out of Nazareth, and he's been pestered by Philip to come and see anyway. So he comes, and this man that he's never met before just tells him everything about his life, basically. And he says, he said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even came and got you. And from that statement, he says, you are the king of Israel. You are the son of God. Now, if you and I have a conversation... And I tell you something that, it, you know, think about this. If I, you're not going to go, you're the son of God. Nobody in their right mind is going to make that kind of a statement. So what was so significant? He says, I saw you under the fig tree. And, and if I had time, I'd go in and tell you. But under, un, un, under the rabbinic teachings of that day in the Talmud, which was not only the written law, but the or, oral laws uh, uh, handed down through the years, um, that the Jewish people, most of them could not afford what we would call a Bible. They couldn't afford a scroll with the scriptures. So they would go to the synagogue school. The rabbi would read it and have them repeat it. Then they would leave and they would teach them. There was a popular teaching that the best place to, to memorize and meditate on the word was under a fig tree. So Nathaniel's under a fig tree, and what does Jesus say to him? Jesus makes a statement. First of all, he calls him an Israelite. How does he even know what his background is? How does he even know what his ethnicity background is? He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. And in that moment, Nathaniel knew that Jesus Christ could read his mind. How do we know that? How do we know that? Because... Jesus knew the verse that he was thinking about. And it's from Genesis 28. And in Genesis 28, we have the story where Jacob was fleeing from the household of Isaac because he had deceived his father. His one act of guile, his one act of deceit, and he had deceived and he's running for his life because he's been told that his brother's going to catch him and kill him. <laughs> And, and, and he falls asleep and he has a vision or a dream or a night vision, however you want to describe it. And, but Jesus says this to him. He said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe me? You will see greater things than these. And he said, truly, truly, I say from hereafter, you shall see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. 
There's only one place in the Bible where it speaks of that, and it is in the place where Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, and it was there that he has a dream, and he sees angels ascending and descending from heaven. So not only can Jesus, I mean, put this whole thing together. He says, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip came to get you. I know that you're an Israelite, and you've been meditating on the scripture in Genesis 28 about this 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 act of deceit and guile. And he says, and now you've had a dream of angels ascending and descending. He said, you're going to see greater things than that. And by that statement, Nathaniel is converted. He said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Think about this. We usually look to where Peter is, and when Jesus asked him, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets, some say. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ, the anointed one. That's what it means. And we say, and upon this rock I will build my church. But who said it first? Nathaniel said, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Before Jesus even starts his ministry. What I'm trying to say, and let me close. He knew that this man had to be the Jesus they've been looking for. And I realize what God wants today are people not who have a mental picture of who he is, but know down here that no matter what, there's no going back because there is no one like him. You know, we've had a flurry of people in the United States in the last several months, prominent Christian people, musicians, writers, authors who have recanted their faith and their belief in Jesus. And this is going to grow more and more. And I'm, I, I've been so puzzled, how can this happen? And I'm convinced it's because they've not had a Nathaniel experience. They've not had a Peter experience where he's knocked to the ground and for three days he's blind and cannot see until God speaks to a man in another town and sends him over there and said, I've come with a message and lays hands on him and scales fall from his eyes. I'm, I'm convinced that God is saying that you, you have to be persuaded in this hour. Listen to me. God, God Brother Elliot said it earlier, God's taken us. He's, he's saying, come on, come on. But there are going to be those who are saying, I want to stay right here. I want to stay right here. I want to stay right here. He, you cannot because you have to be where he is because you now know who he is. And when you know who he is, then you know you know what can happen when he's there. I'm sick and tired of coming into church services where people got a mindset of what's going to take place in the next hour or 90 minutes or two hours or whatever. I'm, I have a mindset that he's God.
And I don't know what he's up to today or what he's going to do or who he's going to use or where. Or it may be that someone walks in and says, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus, not the religious Jesus, not the one that just, just is some form, some empty form, some good old plastic Jesus. But the real Jesus comes down and transforms their lives like a pot of water into a pot of wine. I'm looking for that Jesus. I want to know, do you know who Jesus really is? Oh, the Apostle Paul, he said he, he knew, he understood it, he understood it because what did he do? He said, for I am persuaded. Come on now. 2 Timothy 1 and 12, look what it says. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. I am. I'm, and I believe, and I'm persuaded. That word persuaded doesn't mean just like moderately approve. It's like convinced beyond doubt. That he is able to keep he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. There's only one thing he's looking for, and that's you. He's looking for you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. He's looking for you. And Paul said, I'm convinced that what I've given him, he's able to hold on to. Not only that, because I know who he is. Doesn't matter. He writes later to the church. He said, what can separate us from the love of God? Is there any demon in hell, any devil, any power, any kingdom, any principality? There's nothing that can separate us. How could he say that? He said, because I know in who I believe, and I am persuaded. I'm beyond convinced that I know who this Jesus is. And my Jesus is a real Jesus. He's an alive Jesus, and he changes lives. And he still does it today. I want to ask you in the closing in this question. If someone were to ask you what proof you have that Jesus is real, what would you say? Would you say, well, no, the pastor says that the Bible says. No. And I'm convinced the later in this day and age in which we are living, that God is going to allow things to come across our path. And we're going to have it each somewhere and experience somewhere with God in a, in, in a way that we've never experienced before. And you're going to be able to say, I know who, who I believe. I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. You can't take that away from me. I was there. I saw it. I witnessed it. I was a part of it. You can't talk me out of it. I was a living, I'm a living testimony of who he is. I know you're thinking, well, preacher, so wind down. <laughs> Had a preacher friend one time said, said, I'm, I'm trying to figure, find out where to land this thing and, and end this message. And, Somebody from the back of the church, Brother Elliot, said, just land the sucker, preacher. Don't let it come on down. 
But let me tell you what, I'm not interested in just landing. I feel like if I had to go one more time, one more minute to convince somebody somewhere where you'll say, God, I want an experience. I want an encounter with you. I believe in you, but I want to go from a mental encounter to a heart encounter that when people look at me and they say, you either deny your faith or you'll be put to death, you'll be able to say, you can't kill me. You can't kill me because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You might think you're getting rid of me, but my dead corpse will be looking right back at you and you'll know that I'm in the presence of God. So why don't you just help me out a little bit? Now, I know that sounds a little weird. I'm telling you, there's persecution coming. And you better have more than just a mental idea or a few scriptural thoughts that you've memorized. You better know in your knower. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In your knower that this Jesus, he's real. He's real. If he could talk to a 15-year-old boy about a guy sitting under a tree about to commit suicide, he can talk to anybody. I'm convinced of that. I've used that scripture. I said, if God could talk through a, a mule, he can use me. How many of you think God could use you? Now let me ask you, how many of you think God wants to use you? Well, what are you going to tell him? What are you going to say? Are you going to just quote three or four scriptures? There's nothing wrong with that. The word convicts. But how about, how about, a, how about a story where they brought the, a man who had been blind from birth. Jesus opened his eyes. They brought him before the religious leaders. He said, who did this? He said, I don't know. I was blind. Man laid hands on me and my eyes opened. Well, who did it? Well, I would think if you're the religious in crowd, you would know who the guy is going around opening people's eyes. You know, the word got out less than 48 hours ago. One of God's generals went home, Reinhard Bonnke, who saw tens of millions of people come to Christ and miracles, miracles take place. Crutches thrown away, blind eyes opening, people being raised from the dead. And we're sitting there going, well, I'm content to do my little Sunday thing and whatever and I said Lord you're taking all your generals home I said Lord the, the, the ranks are looking a little bare you know what the Holy Spirit said he said no he said for every one I've taken home I'm raising up seven more I said Lord where are they coming from 
He said they're coming from the east and the west and the north and the south. I'll take the young. I'll take the old. I'll take everyone in between. All I'm looking for is someone who's willing to say, I know in whom I've believed and I'm persuaded that he can keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. What day? That day the trumpet sounds. That day the trumpet sounds. Whether I'm in the grave by that time or if I'm still alive. I heard a preacher this past week said, well, I don't want to be dead. I want to hear the trumpet. I said, brother, go back and read the scripture again because it says the dead in Christ rise first. They hear the trumpet before the living hear the trumpet because they're coming up first and then the others are coming up afterwards. He said, I never thought about that. I said, man, I'm telling you, I said, God, you're raising up seven more. He said, I've got them in every city and every town and every highway and every byway. He said, and my spirit is stirring in them right now like a whirlwind. It's stirring. It's stirring. And I'm taking the ones that are least expected. <laughs> you know what we do? We pick out God. We think out this is the best. This one here will have the most influence. God said, no, 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 no. That's not the one I want. I don't have time to preach on that. Somebody said, just land this thing, Pastor. Just land this thing. Well, guess what? There ain't no service tonight, so, you know. <laughs> no, really. I wish, I tell you, I feel so empty right now because I feel like I can't get across what I'm trying to tell you. But God's just looking for anybody. He'll say, Lord, do a transformation in me. I don't want to be water. I want to be the best, the best wine, the best that you have. I'm not interested in just the nominal. I'm not even interested in the normal. God, I know you want hot or cold, nothing in between. God, light my fire. Set me ablaze. Set me on fire, Lord God, because this is the day. This is the moment. This is the hour. Come on, church. Come on. If that's you, and that's you, and you're ready to let God use you, I want you to stand to your feet right now and say, God, here I am. Do your work. Set me on fire. Set me on fire. Set me on fire right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. Raise your voices. Come on. God's not worried by a little bit of noise. He ain't worried about a shout either. Come on. Come on, church. Come on. If you need to get out of your seats and move, that's fine. If you want to come forward, that's fine. If you want to march, if you want to run, you want to fall on your face, that's fine. But we're looking for God. We want to be able to say, I know who Jesus is. I know. Go ahead. I'm a lover of your presence. 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 I'm a lover of your 
sense in my spirit right now there's some some Bartimaeus is in here and you've been listening to the rantings of this old man older man the Bible says you have to believe you have to believe that he is the Son of God you have to believe that he was born of a virgin you have to believe that he lived a sinless life. You have to believe that he was crucified on the cross. He was buried in the tomb for three days. But on the third day, God breathed from heaven and raised him from the dead. You have to believe that he's alive today. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you shall be saved. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. He's already paid it. He's extending the invitation to you, but you have to believe. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, Pastor Bob, I, I don't believe like you believe. You start, you start, you take the first step right here. You understand what God says, and you say, I believe that, and I'm going to confess it with my mouth. See, when I go to say something, I'm usually thinking it, and, my, and I'm trying to connect my tongue to what I'm saying. So you got to believe. You got to believe. And you confess. And in that moment, God changes you from water to wine. He transforms your life. The Bible says you go from the kingdom of darkness to the eternal kingdom of His Son, Jesus Christ. If that's you right where you're at, I want you to pray with me right now. It's nothing mystical, magical about these words, but you gotta mean it from your heart. You gotta mean it from down here, and you need to say, dear God, I come to you this day, and I admit that I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the standard you require. Because of that, you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe, say it, I believe that he paid the price for my sins. He paid the price for my sins. Jesus, come into my life. Take the weight of the world off my shoulders. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being a phony. I want to be real, just as you are real. I give you my life this day. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that right where you're at, I'm praying for you right now. Holy Spirit, come and abide within them. They may not understand everything that took place today, but when they walk out of here, they're going to sense a change has happened. Something unique has happened. God, you have done another creation. The Bible says that when we believe in such a way, we are born again. That's a creative miracle. 
in that moment you've created a new being for the bible says behold all things are past behold all things are new you create life where there is no life and now god we worship you let's sing it one more time come on Your presence, I'm a lover of your presence. 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 Wanna be? I'm a lover of your presence. Your in your body right now raise your hand put your hands up you need a touch you need God to heal your body touch your body right now hand here hand back there hand there hold them up high hold them up high church I want you to look around if you're a believer and you believe God's word is true the Bible says they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover not the apostles but the believers those who are sick raise your hand up again hold your hand up high if you see somebody with their hand raised step over there and put your hand on them in the name of Jesus we rebuke all sickness and disease affliction of body all infirmity let it be gone right now and we release healing and we command health to come into their bodies in Jesus name Jesus walks in the house Jesus comes in the room and everything changes he comes in, says, I'm Jesus. I'm the Jesus of the Bible. I'm the Jesus that you read about. Do you know me? Do you know me? Do you know me? Oh God, we worship you. Father, I'm so excited. I'm so excited, with, filled with anticipation of what you are doing. We don't have a clue. All we see is water pots. And you're in the transforming business. And what you're about to unleash on the church for this hour is, is transformation in and of itself. Transformation power. Transformation glory. I'm telling you, there are people that you, you have on a list that you think they're the last one that God could ever reach. 
And I'm telling you, God's going to jump right past everybody else on that list and go tap the one that you say is impossible. Why? Because the time is short. And when that kind of a drastic change comes, when water gets turned into wine, people sit up and take notice. Thank you, Lord. God, we praise you. facing a mighty obstacle in your life I don't know what it is or who it is and you've tried to figure out every angle to fix it and God said there's only one way it'll be fixed you got to give it to me and the problem is every time you give it to him you're taking it back Every day comes, you wake up again and take it back. And God says, you got to give that thing to me and leave it in my hands and allow me to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it. Some of you have been putting a timeline on God and telling him, I need this done like now. You're not God, he is. You just give it to him and he said, I'll take care of it, but you got to like, let him have it. I don't know who it is or what people it may be. You, you, I'm not saying you don't love God. I'm just saying you keep giving it to him, and then the next day you take it right back again. You weren't made to carry that thing. You were made to worship. You were made to worship, and you can't worship with your hands raised when, you, when you're carrying that weight around. 
I don't know what it is. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know if it's a business thing or a relational thing. I sense it's a relational thing. <clears throat> I may be wrong, but you need to give it to God right now. Right now. Right now. you got to surrender it to God. you got to let God have it now. Let Him have it. Let it go. There's no such thing as surrender as long as you're holding on. Let it go. Let it go right now in Jesus' name. God, we surrender everything to you. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's a physical object. I don't care if it's a relationship. I don't care what it is, Lord. God, we surrender it to you. It's yours. The only thing that we ask is that we, Lord God, never let go of you and you never let go of us. God, what matters most is you and our relationship with you. Everything else is secondary and tertiary, Lord God. Doesn't matter. God, we're holding on to you. We're holding on to you. We're holding on to you. Let it go. And don't dare pick it up again. I said, let it go and don't pick it up again. Let God have it. Watch what he'll do. I said, watch what he'll do. This is the Jesus that raises people from the dead. This is the Jesus that transforms. Quit trying to tell him how to do it. There was nobody at the wedding in Cana that knew he was going to fill water pots and turn them into wine. So don't pretend you know how he's going to fix your situation. Just give it to him. Give it to him. Father, we bless you this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, God. We thank you for this day. God, I believe in this place there have been people who have been unshackled by weights they were carrying. That God, that their hearts have been opened, expanded to receive the Jesus who is. Now, God, there are those who are still searching. I say, God, let them have an encounter with you that is undeniably, undeniable, you, Jesus. We ask it for your glory. We ask it for your kingdom. And we ask it for your name. Amen and amen and amen.